0: Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, coming to you this week, as we do most weeks, from the beautiful sixth fairway of the Red Tail Golf Club in the village of Lakewood, Illinois.
1: Okay.
0: Where we can sit here, looking out the window of our studio, and watch the bad golfers. Because if we can see them out our window, they're not very good.
1: Alrighty. No. I just didn't think that was where you were going to start.
0: That's that's where I decided to open it. But where I'm actually going to start is because by the time you hear this, not while we're recording, but by the time you hear this, it will either be or be after Trisha's birthday, one or the other. It'll go up on Trisha's birthday. It depends on when you listen. So it will either be her birthday or it will be after her birthday, at which point you're too late. Now you have to apologize for missing her birthday. It'll be your fault, though, not mine.
1: But since I celebrate my birthday all month long, it's just all part of the month-long birthday birthday extravaganza. Birthday? Yeah. Well, I'm having problems with the words, too, and it's not like you're <laughs> going to rewind the podcast and start over when I trip over my tongue, unlike when you tripped over your tongue. Well, you know, there
0: is a difference between doing it a minute and a half in as opposed to two seconds in.
1: Yeah, but the word that you tripped over was one that you should have never tripped over.
0: Two? But we're better now. One of us is. So let's turn right to everything we have. You know, we really did plan on doing a show last week. It had been the intention, but one of the things that we are slowly learning, I won't say rapidly learning, we are slowly learning, (laughs) is that with the hour time change that we now experience being in the central time zone, combined with having to watch races and all of the other activity that happens is that if we do not very closely and very tightly choreograph our activity, our planned activities for the weekend, by the time we get to the point where we would normally record, we have a problem. So we have to make sure that we watch when we're doing stuff and at what point so that we don't run out of time. Or, it was just the result of Trisha and her involvement in the Danish Citroën DS3 race.
1: To be very clear.
0: It was fine until the rain started and everybody was on wet tires.
1: They were still on slicks.
0: Or, or they were on slicks and did not
1: they couldn't get to wets. If you watched the clip that you provided. It I, was awesome. Yes. I want everyone to know which car... I supposedly was driving
0: one of the upside down ones
1: no you remember like there were a
0: lot of upside down cars you
1: that. remember they panned over to the corner and there were three cars in the in the wall and mm-hmm. like four more cars compiling piling into the <laughs> yeah. wall and then there's like they break and nothing comes by and then and another sl- one
0: comes flying in and slam into the into wall, the wall.
1: <laughs> and then you have two more cars come in and fly in and slam into the wall and then it goes really really quiet and there's this little white Citroën that goes around the corner gingerly on its little tires.
0: <laughs> there were Tip-toes. two of them that safely made it through. Two. And one that came crashing in after the emergency vehicle showed up. I think he crashed into the emergency vehicle. <laughs> no, he did not.
1: Well, there was the guy that came out of the pile of cars and was walking like across and then ran back across the track yeah. because there were more cars coming To pile on further. Anyway, I I supposedly was driving one of the cars that tiptoed around that corner, because that's the kind of driver I
0: am. On a normal basis.
1: I'm not fast, but I'm accurate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, while we are just in the ridiculous part of the show...
1: Is this... When Toto Wolf theme. comes into our studio to interview with us? No,
0: he's not. He he he's busy. You know, this is one of the few weekends that he will be in the same country as Susie. So he's busy. Okay. We 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 cannot take that away from them.
1: I'm I'm quite sure it's really all about
0: Jack this weekend. It, it may be, but while we are still in the ridiculous portion of the show, let us start with. What I guess, unsurprisingly, is we, we, as this played out over the last couple of months, our first ridiculous story. Okay. Well, it involves Haas. Well, not even so much Haas, but it involves rich energy. And anything involving rich energy at this point is just ridiculous. Unfortunately, we probably won't have rich energy to kick around any longer.
1: Okay, we've been kicking around Monisha well after she left Formula One. So we could kick around these guys well after they divorced themselves with Haas.
0: Yeah, um, both uh, Rich Energy and, and Haas have elected to terminate their relationship. I'm guessing it probably has something to do with the 53 pounds sitting in the bank. And that you can't make 53 pounds into 35 million pounds.
1: That is a very difficult math equation to make work.
0: Hey, the folks over at Jalopnik recommended that we all, in in mourning of Haas's, the, the, or not Haas, in mourning of the end of Rich Energy's foray into the world of Formula One, that we pour one out in memory of them, if you could actually find a can of Rich Energy. Oh. Good luck there! <laughs>
1: And this is why they only have nice fifty three pounds in the bank. Yeah. Um. So, are the, is Haas gonna sue what is left of Rich Energy for at least the the sponsorship that they have not paid for?
0: All that has been said, according to the statement that was released uh, this past Monday, was that both sides came to an amicable. So we, we don't know what exactly that means. Uh, we do know that while the logos will be coming off of the car, the color scheme will remain unchanged. It just will not run with the Rich Energy logos. I mean, keep in mind, the stag is already off the car. Right. But now it won't even say Rich Energy, and they are no longer the Rich Energy Haas F1 team.
1: All right.
0: Not that anybody called them that.
1: Well, no. Because that would have been silly.
0: Yeah. So, our next bit of ridiculousness.
1: More ridiculous?
0: Yes, there there is more ridiculousness. This actually, it goes back to the Belgian Grand Prix. It's carried over into the Italian Grand Prix, but it goes back to the Italian Grand Prix. Or, or to, the, to the Belgian Grand Prix. So, as we have mentioned in the past, that one of Nico Rosberg's current ways to pass time is that he has become a video blogger. Yes. Now, we have not been following Nico's channel, but in light of what has happened, I have been forced to go and at least peruse the YouTube channel.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. I,
0: I expected better of him.
1: Everybody did. The, he's becoming a meme
0: of himself at this point. Oh, he's not even that. I, from from looking at his channel, yes, he talks about Formula One stuff every now and then. But in looking at what he's been putting up there lately, he has started to move into that rich boy slime ball YouTube video blogger. I have more money than I know what to do with, so I'm going to do jackass stuff to get views. Mm-hmm.
1: You come at that with this assumption that he was not always the rich boy slimeball. He just masked it by being an F one driver.
0: I had more respect for him.
1: It was misplaced.
0: I mean, he's a smart guy. Really, he is. He, he's he's a, he's one of the few Formula One drivers who has a college degree.
1: Oh, that's right. He has like an aeronautics degree. It's or
0: either aerodynamics or chemistry. It is a science y degree of some sort. He, he's not a dumb guy to have gotten one of those degrees.
1: Okay. But in the light of the recent rich people scandal, really?
0: Okay. Well, no, that was to get into college, and that was American colleges. He didn't get into an American college. So. Uh, I'm going to give i I was giving him the benefit of the doubt until his chain of videos. But anyway, what has caused the issue is um, Nico went after Max after his collision with Kimi Raikkonen in, in Spa. Mm-hmm. What Rosberg said. Remember, one time world champion, the guy who. All but one year got beat by Lewis Hamilton. That's like his claim to fame. All but one year he beat beat Lewis Hamilton.
1: All but one year he was beaten
0: by Lewis. That too. (laughs) He did it once. He won. Once in a row. Yes. And then he quit. Because it was too hard. (laughs) Yes. He said, talking about Max, back to his old self a little bit, too aggressive. Then I don't understand how he stays flat out even when the car is broken and then shunts it. He just has balls of steel. That didn't make a lot of sense, though. So that was not good from Verstappen. He also, after that race, um, said Sebastian Vettel had looked a lot like Rubens Barrichello, who was has been considered Ferrari's most famous number two driver, mm-hmm. which is a pretty big dig at seven. He said specifically this was when he moved over to let Charles Leclerc through because the team told him to right um so max was asked his comments about his opinion on this whole thing and what max told dutch media when um nico's comments were put to him he said i don't really care what rosberg says in his podcast i think he is a new jacques villeneuve villeneuve has changed quite a bit but it seems that rosberg now and again wants to give a contrary opinion but I really don't care what he says on his channels anyway. He does it very often. At the beginning of this year, he even called me a narcissist. That is very extreme. Um, So then he went on to go after Nico a bit more and say that Nico has never been credible, even as a driver. It's his problem. He has no charisma and can't get a job. I don't know what he wants. More viewers? Money? He should have kept driving to earn a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so as this well, even I I think it was even actually it was before the press conference, Lewis heard about this. Oh no. Oh yeah. So it starts off with that Lewis posted on Instagram a screen grab of the of the article carrying the quotes um with the caption, This had me in stitches with two crying with laughter emojis. Oh my. And then the next day, the following day after qualifying, he was asked about the post. Mm -hmm. And Lewis's comments, I thought it was really funny. I think Max is generally a really funny guy. So I was cracking up when I saw it. It's interesting because because obviously we know what it's like. All the drivers have all been here and know what it's like being criticized from the public. And when they are in the sport, moan about being criticized by people from the outside. And then when drivers retire, they become those critics. So it's an interesting dynamic. And also some of those, unfortunately, drivers become irrelevant when they retire and ultimately have to hang on to utilize other people's light to keep them in the light. And so, but that's the way of the sport, I guess. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) So Nico responded.
1: Of course he did.
0: He did. Um, Nico, in his video blog, of course, he said, when I was still active, one of the things I hated most was journalists telling me about comments that ex-drivers made about me, which came across in a critical way. In my case, it was always someone like David Cothart. It drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. Which, just right there, the fact that, he didn't like the Kothard. yeah, I'm amused. But he goes on. We have the situation now that journalists are relaying stuff that might even have that might have been negative to Lewis or even Max and whatever. So now Lewis even Instagram storied about it. Max, also in the news, you might have seen firing back at me, whatever. But Lewis especially. He insta-storied about me, so it must have annoyed him pretty much when they said Rosberg said this or this. That must have annoyed him pretty much if he insta-storied about me. At the same time, I love doing these analysis because I love discussing the sport with you guys and giving you great insight. But I have a great respect for the drivers, as I hated it when ex-drivers' comments got relayed to me. So I need to make a bit of a change there because I don't want my ex-colleagues, who I respect a lot, like Max and Lewis and everybody else, to get relayed some comments about me, which come across very critical to them. I have a lot of respect for those guys. I'm going to try and change my tone a bit now. Little bit of a change now. Let's see if it's good or not. He Insta-storied me.
1: I cannot roll my eyes hard enough, really.
0: Are you going to Insta-story (laughs) it?
1: No. Because you know something? Those of us that live in the real world have lives.
0: Hey, you know who else apparently still does not live in the real world? Who? Pastor Maldonado. Talk about a blast from the past.
1: why in the world are we gonna talk about Pastor Maldonado? There's no chance he's coming back to F1. He like c- crashed every car he ever drove. Wasn't he the catalyst of that Citroen accident?
0: No, he actually wasn't. Are we sure? Yes. Are you? I can't it rained. It was it rained. Fun. I can't say that he makes the weather bad.
1: He <laughs> does a lot of
0: other stuff. <laughs> I mean I've heard he's a really nice guy.
1: He's a big family man.
0: Yeah. But anyway, Pastor Maldonado. So, um Formula 1's Beyond the Grid podcast. We don't talk about it too much, but it's actually it's a, it's it's a pretty good show. Tom Clarkson's good. He actually he's really good. Um he occasionally has well he has some old folks on there that if you're a relatively new fan of Formula One, you probably don't understand a lot of it, but if you've been a long time fan of Formula One, hey, you're not listening to us. But B... <laughs> I was going to say, who exactly are you oh, okay. promoting this to? Um, um, but anyway, Tom had... It was either last... Actually, it was two weeks ago now. Pastor Maldonado. Won. And... Alright, it, w- it wasn't really all that listenable because... Pastor is pastor, and he still thinks that he is the most amazing driver in the whole wide world.
1: It's worse than that. He still thinks he's relevant.
0: He is, but not as much to Formula One. He, he's driving in, in WEC, mm-hmm. and he's been in some successful teams. and, and So he is relevant to WEC.
1: But he's not relevant to
0: Formula One. So then I should stop talking about this.
1: <laughs> all, it, it's cute as to what he thinks or what he said. So go on and tell the story, and then we can all make fun of him and put him back on the shelf where he belongs.
0: Well, of course, Pastor confluences everything around his one win, and it was. It was a good win. That that was every you know that tripped everything and that was going to do it all. Never mind the fact that, um, his crappy driving lost him several other wins during the season. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, I was the only one. I was the new guy in F one. It's like Verstappen at the moment, like Robert Kubica at his time. I was the guy at the time. People were coming to me. They were happy to talk to me and they were happy to discuss me. What was not clear was the relationship with the sponsors, of course, and, and specifically. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm right. He says, what was not clear was a relationship with the sponsors, of course. It was a lot of conflict of interest against the sponsors, and we were negotiating about that. My sponsors were open to maybe not to be on the car or to be with another company. They were open to find a solution to my career. At some point, we got very close to Ferrari. I was expecting the move at the time. Now, what he's managed to do is he starts talking about how he was this new guy in 2012 who's successful, but... This potential move with Ferrari was in 2014. Oh, yeah. After he'd already had his disasters. He says, At some point, we got very close to Ferrari. I was expecting the move at the time. That was my time. It was the moment to have a second chance, not to fight to try to show my ability every day because it was impossible. However, let's be clear. He missed the drive in 2014. He says, any former any chance of joining Ferrari after that w- was gone when Luca Di and Stefano Domenicali left the team during that season. He says, we lost contacts and the communication we focused elsewhere. So close to getting to Ferrari, but never went to Maranello. Yeah, no. Never. That, that never happened, which, by the way... If you're going to drive for Ferrari, they bring you to Marinello. That's how you know you have a fighting chance of getting to drive for for Ferrari. is because they bring you to Marinello. Not because somebody, you know, mentioned that, oh, Luca kind of saw your race.
1: Yeah. My <coughs> bet is that they lost a the context meant that somebody... Is not on the grid that they were chatting with. Oh yeah, you you yeah definitely you should be a, a Ferrari driver. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, Pastor.
0: Whatever you want, man.
1: Yeah, I'll make a phone call for you.
0: you you'll you'll hear from us next Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm.
1: Never gonna happen.
0: So let's we'll move away from the ridiculous now. We, we, we've we've had our ridiculous segment. We'll we'll move on to other stuff. Um, just prior to the Italian Grand Prix, Monza secured a new five year deal to continue to host the Italian Grand Prix, which is fantastic. Awesome. Um, more importantly, um, is that it should confirm that Monza will have the a Formula One race in the. Uh, anniversary of its one hundred. Well, in the year of its 100th anniversary. Oh, nice. So that should be a very big party.
1: Oh. you imagine what the... Uh, the Tifosi. The Tifosi will be like?
0: So now that the deal has been signed, and actually, in a way, this kind of belongs in a ridiculous section because we've heard this so many times, um, but now that the deal has been signed for Manza... Um, Imola and Mugello are now saying that they're trying to host a race again. You know, Imola, who's been saying it for, what, four years now? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And nobody who thinks that Imola will ever be able to host another race, another Formula One race. Well,
0: I think Imola has a better chance than Mugello. Um, That said, um, which one just did a, a, a major rework? So Imola has, they've already found somebody to revamp the whole paddock because their paddock area is kind of, it it hasn't been updated. They haven't haven't had a need to bring it up to F1 standards. Um, They did do uh, the things that were needed to at least get it to grade one certified status, but now they have to upgrade the facilities. And from what I hear, actually, over at Monza, the facilities are pretty bad. Mm. Have not upgraded them in quite a while, and that's some of the press does not like going there because it's not great. Oh. It is much the atmosphere is amazing, the press facility is not great, and the, the paddock isn't great. <clears throat> so um, they've worked on. <clears throat> Imola is working on getting the paddock and, and the the trackside facilities upgraded. Mugello, on the other hand, is kicking off and. Or they announced the result of an economic impact study that claimed that activity at the track contributes to almost 130 million euros to the local and regional economy. Mugello has hosted motorcycle, MotoGP races, quite a few MotoGP races, and they've hosted testing. They hosted testing back in 2012 was the last time that they did. They're not at grade one standards yet. They say that their first objective is they want to renew the agreement with MotoGP, but within the next five years, they want to bring Formula One to the region. They want to try and do it. I don't know. They said that unlike other Italian circuits, Mugello is not state-run. So it is totally private, which makes it a bit harder for them to do that. Ferrari, in particular, has invested significantly in the track and in the facilities. Oh. Yeah. Now, Mugello is closer to Marinello than Monza is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think, if I remember correctly, the spiritual home of Alfa Romeo is in Milan, which is where Monza is. If I remember correctly, they're northern Italian as opposed to Ferrari, which is central Italian.
1: Oh, I was unaware of this. I know that you spent some time in the Italian motorsport uh, mecca, I guess.
0: Well, you know, it, it, it's, what do what they call, Motorsports Valley in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what that region is for Italy. Uh, is You've got the F1 teams, you've got... The performance car builders, they're all scattered throughout that area over there. So, Oh, yeah. So, other news, other contracts. Um, Williams, and, and really this shouldn't be a huge surprise, given the, the relationship that Total Wolf has with Williams. Uh, but Williams has extended their engine deal for another five years, uh, which means they will continue to run Mercedes Power through 2025. Congratulations, Claire. And it's really, it makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> so not a huge surprise there. Um, really at this point, I think the seat that is, well, I think there's potentially two other seats, but the, the seat that we know is still in play right now would be what's happening at Haas. Yes. And we've talked about the shortlist. Well, apparently... Out of the blue, we didn't know this, but out of the blue, Pascal Verlein approached Haas about the seat. Oh. This was confirmed by Gunther Steiner. Oh. Now we, we do not recognize you go or we do not recommend that you go listen to this podcast, but it was the German German Formula One podcast starting grid. And the only reason why we don't recommend it is because they probably don't speak English.
1: It is in German. Yeah.
0: But Gunther was talking to the German podcast and explained why Pascal would not be put on the short list or could not be put on the shortlist. Gunther said he's been out of Formula One for two years now. He was at the track a few races ago, and he came to visit me and ask if there was a possibility. I said, unfortunately not, for the reason that he wasn't in Formula One for two years. Mm-hmm. We want someone who has experience and has been in, for- in F1 for a long time. Oh. yeah. Now, Gunther has also confirmed that the decision is down to exclusively Nico Holkenberg and Roman Grosjean.
1: I know. I got my rejection letter not too long ago.
0: Yeah. It was a nice letter. It was. Gunther mm-hmm. signed it himself. He did. The problem was he signed it, but he forged Gene's signature, which was a little weird. <laughs> but, okay. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I know, I know. Maybe it's because Jean was really pulling for me, and Gunther like uh, vetoed it. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I got my rejection letter. It was very, very sweet. It said that they would have loved to have had the first full time female driver at Haas,
0: but you hadn't been in Formula One a long time, so you, that was the, you the criteria
1: not. I was missing on my and, CV and a super license. Well, they they had been willing to help me get my super license.
0: Well, no. The issue was the fact that you sent a picture of your mm. driver's license and you wrote on top of <laughs> super. So it's a super black driver's Sharpie.
1: license. <laughs> I thought that was the way you did that.
0: <laughs> uh, not quite. I've how been that
1: watching works. Twitter. That's the way it's supposed to happen.
0: Not quite how that works. <laughs> but he had uh, Gunther has confirmed that the decision is down to Nico and Roman and it's interesting what he says. He says, you know, Roman is a known quantity for us. We, oh. we, we, know how he drives. We know how well he drives. We know he can produce for us. Um, they've also said that there really is nothing that Roman can do right now to affect the decision. mm You know, if he turns around and he wins a race, that's not going to sway them. Really? And I think that's dangerous. What he has acknowledged is that Roman is not consistent. Right. In that he can have a string of really crappy weeks followed by a string of really good weeks Mm -hmm. and then have another string of really crappy weeks. And I think that's what's making it difficult for them to make that call is when he's on, he's really on. right? But, when he, but the lows are super low too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think what's making that it hard for them to decide on Nico over him though is managing that relationship, managing that partnership between Nico and Kevin it's probably got them giving them pause,
1: because they don't get along.
0: Not at all. They've got some words and some history that have been explained, ex- exchanged publicly on live television. That I think is giving them pause.
1: Wow, that's a rough position to be in. You two, you're only two candidates. You have highly inconsistent. High highs, low lows. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, he's been consistently low, low lately. Yeah. Um, And or you have drama in the garage.
0: Yeah. Which
1: never doesn't translate onto the track.
0: Yeah. In in a lot of ways. And, and, And it can destroy a team.
1: And we've watched it destroy multiple teams.
0: Yeah. So I and apparently Gunther has said that you know ultimately it's him and Jean have to make the verdict and, they, and Gene has the ability to override Gunther, but they are trying to work together on this decision neither one of them have settled on what makes the most sense yeah so yeah it'll it'll be interesting, but there's nobody else out there. Which, of course, is the next question. And, yeah, we're going to get to it a little early, but that's the Vettel situation. He's not going to drive for Haas. He's not going to drive for Haas. But you look at his performance in the last two races, and we'll get to the penalty later and we'll get to that incident. He is not driving like a four-time world champion.
1: No, he is not.
0: Actually, let me rephrase that. He's not driving like a four-time world champion who is fighting for a fifth and has a chance of getting a fifth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that at this point he's out of the race and that's for for the championship, and that's one thing. But he's not challenging for wins. He's still making errors, and he's making dumb errors. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no reason for that spin. No. Again. No. There was no reason for it. So, I mean, if there were other... You've been struck speechless. So... I I, I can't imagine Ferrari wanting to keep that around. And I, I don't see this pendulum swinging back for Seb... Anytime soon. I don't think that this is something at this point that a that a winter break can cure.
1: No. No. I don't know what the right answer is, but I'll tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. I think Seb's going to wind up with one more year at Ferrari. It, I think at this point, Ferrari doesn't have a counterpoint to
0: LeClerc. That's to, the problem.
1: To pull up, to, to work with. There's not somebody that's like... Ooh, and I don't think they would even go with Ricardo. I just don't. But I don't think they fire Seb this year. But I have a sneaking feeling he's not making it beyond 2020.
0: Unless something major turns around. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think he he would want to stay in Formula One long-term in a number two role. He's been the top dog for, what, eight years?
1: Well, yeah. He's been the number one driver for all his time. The thing is, the only thing that right now, and probably one of the catalysts for the errors that he's making, is the, the underlying current that said that the four world championships that he won were Adrian Newey's championships. He only had to point the car in the right direction. Well, and 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 I don't think he's ever proven that he was truly the outstanding driver. He had an amazing car and he was better than Mark Webber. But that car was off the charts.
0: See, and and I'm going to stop there because I don't necessarily think that that is fully the case. I think yes, Adrian Newey definitely designed fantastic cars, but I think the other piece of that is that Adrian Newey designed cars that suited Seb and how Seb drove. Also, and it was that combination that was why he was so strong in those years. One of the things that I, I have to wonder and, and somebody I think it actually I think it was Villeneuve who said it. Um is that maybe it's not nece- it's not fully a matter of Seb needing to change his mindset and and a, psycho- a a psychological change within Seb. He went to say that maybe he needs a better car. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fully needs a better car, but maybe it's one that's designed to suit him better. Mm. And I mean, yeah, in theory, he should be able to to communicate that to the engineers as to what he's looking for. But I think that is a large part of the problem is that the cars that Ferrari are delivering to him to drive are not, its strengths are not his strengths. And he's struggling with it as a result. It's a strong car, but not where he's strong.
1: I can see that. I'll concede that point. But I still think that it's putting people in the mindset of those four world championships were because he got out in front and just drove in the front for all of that. And there was so much chatter those years that he wasn't... how many times did we hear? Well, we don't think Vettel really can pass, and you know all we, of that stuff. We
0: did because he he earned himself a lot of haters. Mm-hmm. He really did. But the thing is, yes, Sebastian Vettel won and got himself in front, and won those championships in those cars. One Mark Webber didn't. Right. He he won some. He won races. He he had success, but he never had the championship. But I don't think it was simply a matter of the car was that good. Because I don't think you could have dropped Noreen Karthikainen into that car, or Pastor Maldonado into that car, and have them win four world championships.
1: If you put Pastor Maldonado in that car, it would have self-destructed. It, like, had an anti-Pastor button
0: in it. It would have hit a wall. Yes. Driven by Pastor. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) It's like a magnetic connection.
0: Pastor, wall, done. Yeah, or other car. Lewis Hamilton in particular,
1: they yeah. Crash quite a bit. See, maybe that's one of the reasons why Lewis is on such a, a good push is because Pastor's not on the grid to actively <laughs> take him out. All right, moving forward to Monza.
0: Yeah, and prior to the race, I don't know if you, I don't know how many people have seen this video. It's pr- fairly stunning video, and actually. Um, the fact that we don't get enough coverage in the States, because I'm sure Sky spoke about it between before either qualifying or the race in one of their extended pre-race shows. Yeah. Um, a fairly significant crash um, in Monza at, uh actually it was at Parabolica.
1: It was at Parabolica. At par-
0: Parabolica, he ran uh, Alex Peroni, Australian Formula 3 driver, ran wide at Parabolica, um, and made contact with one of the sausage curves between the runoff and the track itself. Um, the car hit the curb and was launched into the air.
1: Launched into the air, did a one and a half rotation flat spin Mm -hmm. before landing and then hopping back into the the catch fencing, I believe. Or it may not have landed... It, in-
0: land, it landed upside down on the catch fencing on the outside of the corner um, and landed on the halo. Correct. Um, replayed showed the curb ripping to pieces after contact. Um, initially, um, word was that he was unharmed and walked himself to the medical car. However, he's got a broken vertebra from the, pro- from the incident.
1: Wow, I did not hear the follow-up that he had broken anything, but I watched him get out of the car and walk to the medical car. So, because I watched the video multiple times.
0: Yeah, he posted later on to Instagram, that was a big one, currently recovering in hospital with a broken vertebra. Not sure the recovery time, but hope to be back in the car as soon as possible. Thanks, everyone, for the messages and support. I really appreciate it.
1: Wow. When I saw the video, I... I don't even know how I saw it, but I happened to be on Reddit and somebody had posted it in the Formula One subreddit posted it. I'm
0: surprised that you were, were you trolling somebody?
1: I was not trolling somebody, but I I don't know. It was a moment I found it in the subreddit.
0: You you went looking for Pastor. You were going to troll him on Reddit.
1: And now I do not troll Pastor on Reddit. (laughs) I troll him on Instagram, where that's
0: where you belong to
1: troll people. (laughs) I Insta-storied him. I Insta-storied him. Um, No, and one of the comments, one of the immediate comments was, everyone who's been a hater of the Halo needs to understand that that just saved someone's life.
0: And it's the second time now.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But that was like glaringly obvious. I mean, the first time where they had scuffs on the halo, Mm -hmm. you could say, yeah, that could have been your helmet, but maybe not. Mm. That was Charles Leclerc. This, this was landed on the halo. Yeah. Whole car.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So in response to this, the sausage curbs were removed from Parabolica. Um, now the FIA said they're going to take a look at the curbs, but they've also turned around and said they do not plan on removing curbs everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, Nico Hulkenberg, he's, he's pushing that these curbs go away. Um, what I didn't understand from watching the video, cause it didn't look like he was going all that fast.
1: I think he was. I think he was going flat.
0: Maybe he was he was really far off the track. Oh yeah. That I mean that I mean way outside the lines to have hit that curb there. And it, I don't understand what the hell he was doing there. Well, it was
1: not intentional that he was there. <laughs> I think he missed I, at his entry point. I think he missed the wrong spot on in Parabolica and it took him wide. Um, but the other piece of that is he hit the sausage curb with the, um, the floor of the car Mm -hmm. in a specifically, um, you know, like a perfect way that caused the launch. Typically the way you would hit that sausage curb is not necessarily the head on that he hit it. Yeah. You would glance it on the side. That Mm -hmm. was, that's more of the intention. He just happened to hit it so wide that he hit it. And it became a ramp. Is what happened. Yeah,
0: I mean, even if you hit the curb at a ninety degree angle, it shouldn't launch you the way this did. No, um, but he hit the the leading edge of the curb with the leading edge of his floor, mm-hmm. and that appears to be what launched the car. Yes. So they're going to further evaluate that, and potentially, I, at the end of the day, you don't belong there.
1: You don't belong there, but we've had two incidents in two races um that remind us, and this is very important because I think with all of the safety, and I'm pro-safety, don't mm-hmm. misunderstand. Um, with all of the safety, I think that we get complacent thinking that this is a safe sport. Yeah. And we here we have had two very dramatic incidents um that remind us that these guys really are living on an edge. And that's one of the things that makes it exciting is that we there's always that potential and you know, they're better drivers than we are because if any of this happened to us, we wouldn't have survived it. So, well, but that's that danger piece and you just forget about that sometimes.
0: The, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning though is that the re- the whole reason why that sausage curb is there is because within what, the last five years, that runoff area in Parabolica was paved over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It used to be gravel. Right. If it was gravel, there wouldn't have been a need for that curb.
1: Right. But it was paved.
0: For the motorcycles. Exactly. That's it. Shouldn't be shouldn't be racing motorcycles there. Or if they do race motorcycles there, they should stay on the track. <laughs> Just like the four-wheel cars, stay on the track.
1: We should ask our resident uh, motorcycle racing advisor how easy that would be to be able to tell motorcycles that you need to stay on the track. He might not
0: be the right person to ask that, knowing his history. Just saying.
1: You know, not (laughs) everybody we know has frequent flyer miles at all the local hospitals that are within 50 miles of any
0: racetrack. Two more visits, he gets a free coffee cup. I think he probably has that coffee cup already. (laughs) So, hey, again, back to ridiculousness.
1: Is that the subtitle for
0: this show? Yeah, it might need to be. Q3 at Monza.
1: Ah. You remember that time we had that qualifying? We had this great idea about qualifying, and it was really boring.
0: You know, I even looked at you as we got down below two minutes and I'm like, if they don't get moving, we're going to have a problem here. And I was, I was, they, they know what
1: they're doing. They know what they're Mm -hmm. doing. I was, no, they didn't know what they were doing. Turns out nobody knew what they were doing. No, they were playing a game of chicken and they're still playing the game of chicken. It was, it, it was entirely about not wanting to be the first person, the minute the first person went out. They would have all gone because they could have taken the toe from him. But because mm-hmm. that toe was so important, you had to have that <clears throat> sacrificial lamb, and nobody was going to take that sacrifice.
0: And that, that's what happened last year. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what happened mm-hmm. last year, which was how Kimmy ended up with his pole, is because of the fact that somebody went out and was the sacrificial lamb, and they were bunched up ni- n- nice and tight enough to pull it off. One of the, the, I mean, there's been a whole lot of questions about how that went down from the fact that the team's playing their games to Nico going out, running, going through the runoff to try and lose his position Mm -hmm. only to have everybody else back off so far (laughs) that he, he made it through, through the chicane at the runoff area and still stayed in front of him. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It was so wrong. It was just
0: wrong. And then Sebastian Vettel, whose job was supposed to be to stay close enough to Charles Leclerc to get the toe, blows it.
1: Oh, yeah. And then wants to say that it was
0: Leclerc's fault.
1: The team didn't follow their own strategy. I mean, I don't know what strategy you were playing, but your job was to follow close enough. You had one job.
0: Well, in, in a way, he, he was right. The way it should have worked, and, and, and the way it worked first way around, was he gave the toe, the toe to Charles the first time around. Mm-hmm. The second time around, they went out too late. Everybody was jockeying for position, and he lost out, which meant he couldn't get the toe. Right. And then, of course, they backed everything up so bad they blew it. Really, what would have been cool, as much as he didn't have a chance, it would have been cool if Carlos Sainz had not only managed to complete the lap, but at least moved up a position or two.
1: I know. That would have been the the best outcome. I mean, honestly, I would have loved to have seen the stewards come back and go, you know something? Because all of y'all were fooling around, Carlos Sainz is now a pole. Everybody's got a penalty.
0: Yeah. So initially that it was looked at after spa that you know this whole backing up before the last lap we got to stop doing this because it's causing problems it's getting dangerous you need to stop doing it then we have monza roll around where in all honesty it was worse it was so much worse well according to michael mossy that everyone in the room, sporting directors and drivers, acknowledge that there is not a simple regulatory fix for this. We'll have a few more in-depth discussions in Singapore, and a few of the teams have already come up with simulations and ideas of how that could possibly be rectified, because it is in everyone's best interest. Which, okay, yeah, but the only idea is going to be, get your butts out onto the track so that you have enough time on your outlap. lap. Yeah. Period.
1: The thing is, until there are regulations that say you can't do this, like you have to be on track two minutes prior to the end of well, the session I, I th- or I think something. it's
0: more a matter of they're going to need to set a minimum lap time requirement for that outlap. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that otherwise you don't go out. Right. I, I think that's the, the only way. And it's stupid that they're going to have to come up with that.
1: But it's not going to get solved with a gentleman's agreement. No. It's going to have to be solved with regulation. And here's the thing you put a minimum lap time on that outlap, what's going to stop people from saying, well, we just won't go out? Can't get the toe, I'm not going to go out. You play chicken, they're not going to have anybody go out on no. that one. What's going to happen is they're going to need to put in there that, if you want to maintain your position, you must be out in the last three minutes of Q3. You must be on the track competing with a minimum lap time.
0: Well, there was precedent if they wanted to turn around and hand out widespread penalties for, for what happened. So back in 2013, mm-hmm. there was a WTCC race at the Salzburg The drivers backed each other up and failed to complete a second flying lap, and that prompted the stewards to come down hard and charge them with bringing the sport into disrepute. Oh. Fine and grid penalties were ultimately handed out to 14 drivers. And I, you know, it would have been fair. It would have been. I think. Um, Michael Massey said he could not judge why the stewards at Monza only opted to hand out reprimands for what happened, but pointed out that how the sport is dealt with nowadays is very different from six years ago. Hmm? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
1: Wow. Well, let's not do that again, guys.
0: Um, so, Max didn't have a great race. Yeah we know part of what caused his problems. So initially he had reported some, um, that he was losing power, as you'll recall. So what we found out is why he lost the power.
1: Why did he lose the power? So
0: it turned out it was an F1 control device. Uh
1: Uh-oh.
0: It was a standard device. It was an FIA system that helps police the traction control ban. Okay. So what happened was, Um, and this was coming out of the the first chicane at Monza. Um, it was a reaction to excessive wheel spin after a curb strike. So because, um, the wheel hit the curb, the resultant rise in engine revs after he went over the curb, activated the protection mode and an FIA system that relates to how the governing body ensures driving aids are not being used, um, Because that wheel spun up and spun up at a different speed than everything else, the FIA control system and and a protection system that Honda had in place both thought this is like traction control, and it throttled its power back. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, the FIA has come out and said that this power cut in no way implies that Either Red Bull or Honda are employing a traction control system, just that the protection mode that reduces torque when a driver such, suffers too much wheel spin would par- partially replicate the phenomenon. So, if you remember, going back a few weeks ago, a few shows ago, we talked about how in Formula E, they were playing games with software, particularly in the wet, that was controlling the torque to the wheels to simulate traction control. Yes. Kind of what they were trying to prevent from happening here.
1: Oh. Well, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, and as a reminder, this is a system that is the same for all of the teams. Right. So what it did is it, filled, it filtered the engine back from full power. hmm So. So it was a pretty good... Race towards the end, yeah. A Lot of heated fighting, a lot of heated challenges. As you recall, for some of the behavior hmm. that Charles Leclerc and his defending, he earned a red and white, a black and white flag. Black. It's a new flag. thing. So, um, mm-hmm. and actually, it, it's kind of a new thing. The provision has always been there for Formula One to do this. Um, it, it's essentially it's a warning, right? It's letting. You, they're calling it. It's like a yellow card. Um, it went away for a few years. Michael Massey has brought it back as a warning of, hey, you're driving kind of a bit over the line, do that again, and and you're going to get a penalty. Um, We've seen it now happen twice. We saw it at the Belgian Grand Prix, and we've seen it now again over in Monza for some behavior that um, Charles Leclerc had. So there has been some concerns raised that, because this gives you essentially a, a warning, mm-hmm. drivers may be a little bit more dangerous. They try, may try and push the limits a little bit more because they know that, all right, the first time it happens, they're going to get the black and white flag. Then they, maybe they need to tone it back a little bit. Right. Michael Massey says, no, it's not going to happen.
1: Oh, yeah. Never.
0: Yep, yeah, no, it's not. I, I, what I think may actually, and he may be right, drivers will turn around they'll be they'll fight a bit harder with each other knowing that they can get away with this black and white flag and they'll hit each other more
1: yeah (laughs) they'll experience natural consequences
0: for their actions and as it is lewis in response to this has said that he will change how he drives and how he fights with charles leclerc in response to this um he, what he says is, if that's how we're able to race, then I'll race like it. Um, as long as you know you're not allowed to leave a card's with and you don't have to do that now. As long as you're not contradicting us, as long as we've got a clear message that we're allowed to run wide, if someone's there and you only get a warning flag, then you only need that once to potentially keep the guy behind you. As long as it's clear and that's the way going forwards, then it's fine. It's just so I know how to go into battle. Same for all the drivers. That's basically the, I'm not going to leave room anymore because I don't have to. Right. We'll see how that goes. Yeah.
1: Uh, It's a little dangerous, especially headed into Singapore.
0: Yeah. All right. So back to Sebastian Vettel.
1: Back to Vettel.
0: And ridiculousness.
1: This is the ridiculous hour.
0: So Sebastian Vettel and his ridiculous spin at the Ascari chicane spins him around, puts him on a track sideways to the... Or, or puts him on the grass sideways to the track, and he shoots right out and spears Lance Stroll. For once, Lance Stroll was in an accident that wasn't his fault. I know. You were so stunned,
1: and then you tried to make it his fault. You were yelling at the TV that Lance was in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and it was his fault. You hate that man.
0: No, I was yelling for because of Lance's response to getting speared by Sebastian Vettel that was totally different.
1: <laughs> okay, And Michael
0: because- Massey wants us all to remember that that was totally different and that's why there were different penalties.
1: Okay. So <laughs> let's let's review because the truth of the matter is your point of view is always Lance is wrong.
0: He was wrong.
1: Well, he, he was, now, but he was the, also the hit. Difference- innocently hit. By Vettel, and you want to somehow make that one his fault, too.
0: No. You tried. No. Lance... If you could, you would inc For the incidents that occurred,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Lance was not wrong in the incident that occurred between him and Vettel. Lance, however, was in the wrong for the incident that happened between him and Alex Alvin. Well, yes. That's where I say Lance was wrong. (laughs) Now... Again, Michael Massey wants us all to know that Lance was less wrong in his incident incident, than Sebastian Vettel was in his incident, which is why the penalties were different.
1: Well, the thing is, I'm going to go back to this one more time. You were yelling at the television, and I think one of the things you said was, he doesn't deserve to be on the track. He wouldn't have been there if if he was in the proper seat, which is not in Formula One.
0: There was that too. <laughs>
1: see. But that was
0: after the situation with Alvin. <laughs> okay, fine. But in, in all honesty, okay, so Sebastian Vettel, and, and this is a hard one from the perspective of there has been a lot of confirmation that um, Seb could not have turned his head enough. There was not enough visibility to see off to the side to see what was coming. Right. The other piece that has been mentioned though is that he knew he was in a chain of cars right and he should have at least had enough self-awareness to stay put for some semblance of that even if he didn't know how many how big that chain was to stay put long enough for some degree of that chain to get past because he knew that chain was there and that also was where his race engineer should have had enough presence of mind to be going wait 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 okay go yeah yeah to at least give him some kind And, and I don't know if he could... Because the other thing that was mentioned is that if you have an incident like this by a marshal station, the marshals will wave you back in when it's safe. Mm-hmm. I don't know where this was in relation to a marshal station and whether or not he could have seen that. But at the very least, I would have assumed that the engineer would have...
1: I would have expected a call from the engineer that said... After you see, after Perez
0: go. Yeah, something like
1: that. You know, or opening mm-hmm. after Albon. I mean, something like that. You would have expected that to come up because they know where every car is on that track. Yep. Um, one of the Sky Sports commentators made the comment that their theory was that Vettel knew he, he was going to drop back to the back of the grid if he waited. Mm-hmm. And his I, the thought process was, I'm going to the back of the grid, so I might as well take a chance. Since he couldn't turn his head far enough to see whether or not somebody was coming. The chance he took was unsafe by I, every measure.
0: I, I don't know if that's necessarily what went through his mind. I think it was more a matter of he lost situational awareness. hmm and it was the, I spun, I need to get back out there. And everything else went out the window. Oh, yeah. And and that's really what I think more of what it was, was as from his limited field of view, he was clear, he lost the remaining piece of situ- situational awareness, and he, he gunned it. Mm-hmm. And that's what put him in trouble, and he nails Stroll. Stroll, on the other hand, I don't think had any excuse for what he did at all. And... and to some extent, I think Stroll's was even dumber because Stroll also knew that there was that big crowd there. He had just been speared because of an unsafe release, and I think it was the same kind of a thing of I'm pissed. I need to get back and get this fixed. I'm still running. I can't believe he did that and almost takes out Albin. That was really good evasive driving from album. <laughs> But the whole reason, according to Michael Massey, for the difference was because, yes, they they both had the unsafe returning of the track. Mm -hmm. That they had equal. But the difference was Seb caused a collision and Stroll didn't cause a collision. Now, granted, Stroll's not causing a collision wasn't because of something that he did.
1: No, it was because Albin was better at getting out of his way
0: yeah oh, I'm sorry it was it was an album. it was Pierre Gasly
1: okay, so Gasly sorry. was better at getting out of his way. yeah, see Gasly's good at something,
0: <laughs> not getting hit by a stroll, <laughs> <laughs> but in addition to the penalty that Sebastian got the the race penalty, there was one other thing that Seb got, which wasn't talked about in the broadcast. Seb also managed to earn himself three points on his super license
1: that's a lot of points.
0: It is a lot of points, especially when under the um, Maldonado rule. (laughs) The Maldonado rule? That's kind of why they did this. Um, If you earn 12 points on your super license within a one-year period, you are automatically handed a one-race ban. Mm -hmm. And Seb now has nine points. Because the three points that he got is, by the way... To get Three points is the most amount of penalty points you can get in a single incident. And that is for extremely severe incidents. Right. He has another one of those before Japan, he's getting a ban.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For that matter, if he gets three points for anything between now and Japan, he's getting a ban.
1: And the reason Japan is particularly important is because he there will be points that fall off his license. Right. After so Japan.
0: the the points age after a year, not at the end of the season. Right. So Japan he'll have some points fall off, but if he got points in Austin or Mexico, so he could st- still be at risk for other incidents. Yeah. If there are additional incidents. But
1: I but think But he's danced with this line before.
0: I don't think no. I don't think he's gotten this close before.
1: I thought he got this close before.
0: No, I, I. He he is for and and this is where I was about to go is for a world champion winning driver. He tends to carry a lot of penalty points. Yes, he does, especially compared to somebody like Lewis, who might get two a year, three max. He he's. Running close to 10 yeah. on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. It's emotional driving.
0: It is. Um, I, although, I think, well, I think he, his emotions are manifesting differently now. I think he has learned something from, what was it, three years ago when we had the, the angry Seb explosions? Yeah. I think he's learned a bit I'm not completely sure he's managed to filter all of it. He just doesn't scream on the radio as much.
1: There's a lot less cussing on the radio. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think we still are seeing angry Seb.
0: And our last story. Your favorite things in the whole wide world. <sighs> Actually, my favorite thing. Your f- arrow cat was back.
1: Yeah, your favorite thing is the <laughs> arrow cat.
0: Reno's cat was back not in a real race, but, um, Pirelli completed its first test with Formula One's 2021 18 inch tires. And they did it on a Renault on a 2018 Renault, which featured the Aerocat, uh, turning veins.
1: Nice. How did the test go?
0: Well, he did 213 laps.
1: That's more than a race distance.
0: It was. Um, and it was done over at uh, Paul Ricard, which, you know, is not known for being challenging on tires. Yes. Um, but this was the the first time that they have done a test with these tires. Since they haven't set up, they haven't figured out what the compounds are going to look like yet. This is just preliminary work, both, I think, for Pirelli to understand how potential compounds could, and we don't really know what the the rule set's going to look like for 2021 yet um but both to understand somewhat what the compounds how they're going to react with this size and also i think for the teams um at least to get some understanding of how heat gets dissipated and held in these tires remember 2021 one of the things that's going away is the tire blankets that's right so how you heat these tires how and, and Again, not to the current rules or the rules that we're expecting, but how the change in the sidewall size impacts the suspension on the car and the forces that they're going to have to figure out how to compensate for with actual suspension as opposed to the tires.
1: Sure, It's still tires.
0: Yeah. So uh, Esteban Ocon, I think, is next up uh, in, in a Mercedes for a tire test.
1: That won't have an AeroCat.
0: No, no AeroCat. But it was nice to see the AeroCat back, even if it wasn't a particularly successful car. <laughs> the AeroCat was cool.
1: The AeroCat made it faster. Yes. They still have not given you an AeroCat.
0: They have not. I'm disappointed. Well, they don't really talk about the AeroCat anymore because they're not really doing it.
1: Yeah, that's sad.
0: And on that bit of sadness,
1: Aww.
0: we'll call it a show.